So, as an assembly, we've been enjoying going through um, kind of structured teaching, and for a little while, we've been considering the Paul's letter to the Galatians. So, given there's a whole crowd of people who've not been here um, for any of those prior um, sessions, I just really want to do a very brief recap. So, um, the letter was written by Paul to four churches in a region, if you like, a district. Um, called Galatia, which is in modern-day central Turkey. Four churches were Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Pisidian Antioch, as opposed to Syrian Antioch. <coughs> I don't think this point's been made, but I'll, I'll make it, because uh, it kind of sticks out for me. These are um, a district of churches, and Paul's writing to them all with the same message. So it's a nod to the unity both amongst the churches and also the way they're taught by a united leadership. Something that is um, key to our, con well, key to the constitution of a church of God, which we maintain today. Paul was known to the Galatian churches because um, during his first missionary journey, he was instrumental in planting um, the four churches that he was writing to. The letter was to address what Paul considered to be a U-turn in the understanding of the gospel. And if he had put it in those terms, they would have said, what are you talking about? You know, we haven't dropped anything. We're not going in a different direction. But they were taking on board um, the teaching of a group called the Judaizers who were clinging on to Old Testament tradition um, which said, actually, we need to adhere to Old Testament practices as well as put our faith in, in Jesus Christ for salvation. And the reason why um, Paul, who is astonished, that's the word he uses by this, is it is actually a U-turn. It's not, it's not just a subtle um, uh, change. It's actually undermining the whole basis of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ as the only means that we can get back to God. So he's outraged by this. And um, that's the, the theme of the letter. Um, it sticks out a little bit amongst Paul's letters. Uh, I was trying to illustrate this. I used to often be in meetings and you have people that um, were always aggressive, you know, and um, always just banging on again as he always does. And then you get people who aren't that way inclined, but when they do get aggressive, people sit up and listen. And I think Paul actually was, was a pretty passionate person. You know, he, he does always use pretty provocative language. But Galatians stands out because all of his other letters, they, they start with a degree of courtesy. Um, and he, they, he kind of builds up to his key message. In Galatians, it's not like that. There's no words and graces straight to the jugular saying, you know, this is um, <clears throat> astonishing and it, it's a U-turn. So um, Paul is delivering zero tolerance for anything that deviated from the gospel that he had preached. Um, of course, imagine yourself in the Galatian churches and you've got these... Judaizers, and they are senior men, so very credible, and um, they would say, well, Paul, <laughs> you know, you versus them, um, who do we believe? So part of Paul's uh, argument 
is to establish his credentials as an apostle. Uh, just a point about apostles, there are no apostles today. One of the qualifications of an apostle is to be in the presence, a, um, a, um, a contemporary, so I'm looking for, of the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul was, albeit in an extraordinary way, because his personal encounter with the Lord Jesus was um, at a later time than the other apostles. But he's establishing his credentials as to why his authority um, is from God and therefore what he says is the true gospel uh, and not what they might hear from other people who don't have that authority. Um, Ian delivered the ministry last week and um, Paul is in chapter 1 starting his testimony. He's saying here is my credentials. Um, Listen to it on SoundCloud highly recommend that and it'll keep you keep the continuity going in um, in where we're up to so we're kind of breaking in um, part way through Paul's testimony and his his purpose here is to leave the Galatian people without doubt as to um, the fact that he was an apostle and why they should pay attention to what it is what it is that he's quite outraged about with that background let's turn to Galatians chapter 2 And we're on the first ten verses. So Paul, he says, uh, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time to, with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel I had preached among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose. Because one, because some false brothers um, had ilf- infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance, those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Two more scriptures. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I don't know whether it stood out to you in the reading, but um, a key verse, I think, or a key statement from his testimony is they, that's these three apostles, Peter, James and John, we'll talk about those in a second, they recognise the grace of God in me. Um, And Romans 12 verse 3, Paul again, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And then one more verse, which is Philippians 3 verse 16 also Paul 
and he says to the Philippians, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Interesting, the chapter starts with 14 years later. And if we consider that every detail given counts in God's word, we're thinking about the details in the Gospels in our remembrance. And um, i just like to explore um, what we can get out of the 14 years later. And Paul is giving us a real helpful stake in the ground as to when this letter um, actually happened. Um, the event that he was ter- uh, referring to and he says 14 years later I went back up to Jerusalem that's the um, council of overseers in Acts chapter 15 when they were discussing this very issue so um, the same idea that there were um, certain people from a Jewish background that had a real struggle with the idea of salvation by grace through faith without works it is very different than what they've been used to with all of these um, regulations and probably the most key and um, distinctive one was um, circumcision so this topic was not unique to the Galatians and it wasn't new to Paul Most scholars would say that that council in Jerusalem was around AD 50. So if we say that Paul, his salvation on the road to Damascus was very close to the ascension of the Lord, so maybe within that 12-month period, which would be AD 33-34, then the council in Jerusalem was um, 15-16 years later in AD 50. And Paul is referring to it. So the letter to the Galatians happened after that time. Um, Paul, uh, we were learning from Ian last week from chapter 1 and other references as well, that um, he spent three years in kind of special uh, training in Arabia and then um, a lot of time in Damascus and a lot of time in um, Syrian Antioch. So years had passed. And then he goes on his missionary journeys. And um, you you get the impression that the the apostles perhaps were in each other's pockets all of this time, you know, um, meeting together, collaborating and stuff. But this is 2,000 years ago, and they lived distances apart. So I I have the impression that the Conference of Overseers was not as regular as it could be uh, today. I was going to mention, it's kind of timely, because that um, council in Jerusalem still happens today, not in Jerusalem, but in a place called Swanwick in the UK. And we call it COCG, that's the Conference of Overseers for the Churches of God. And this is where we get it from. And uh, Paul was meeting with the other apostles in the first, what I believe to be the first, COCG um, uh, in AD 50. So his letter to the Galatians, um, sometime after that, His missionary journeys probably started in AD 47, 48, something like that. And he had three, and this district of Galatia featured in all three missionary journeys. So um, that's the basis on which we can say they would have been familiar with Paul personally because he visited them and was uh, establishing the church in his first visit. So that would have been something like AD 48. Now, while scholars agree on the timing of the first COCG, 
they seem to disagree on the date of um, the letter to Galatians, which um, is some time from AD 50 to AD 58. Um, I'm kind of inclined on the basis of chapter 1, verse 6, which says, I am astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you. Um, it, it seems to me that this was fairly soon after the church was planted. So there is a popular um, a proposal that the date, the letter dates to AD 51. So the church would have been maybe two years old. Um, it's one year after the council in Jerusalem. And if you remember, the, the outcome of the council in Jerusalem was a letter that was circulated to all of the churches of God worldwide that included this statement about um, circumcision not being um, necessary. In fact, they shouldn't do it because it undermines um, the true gospel. So the Galatians would have received that uh, instruction uh, from the first uh, conference of overseers for the churches of God. They were a fledgling church, I believe, um, based on the kind of language that's used here, uh, maybe one or two years old. And you can perhaps understand Paul's outrage, you know, um, that already um, they have kind of let go of the preciousness of the truth that he taught them himself and um, were entertaining these ideas of the Judaizers which, while they may not have realised it, were fundamentally flawed and had to be um, addressed. You have a sense of urgency in the whole book. Again, I'd encourage us as we have all along to read the book in one sitting because it only takes 10 minutes and, and actually you do get a real sense of urgency coming out of it. So what, what's the lesson so far? Um, Paul has a zeal for the true gospel and he has this um, zero tolerance for anything that would deviate from it. And the question I have is, if he was here today um, and considered what the churches of God around the world practice, um, how would we fare in terms of our zeal for doctrinal truth, the apostles' teaching, um, and its implementation um, across the churches of God all over the world? I think, I think you'd be pretty impressed. It's 2,000 years later, and if it's the it's kind of in our DNA, isn't it? If it's, a, it's a, like a signature of the churches of God, is that we're passionate about, passionate about church doctrine. And you know, we, we do have a zero tolerance for things that might come in and um, maybe subtly at the beginning um, hint at something different. How do we maintain that? And it's exactly the same way as it was maintained in those days by the leaders of God's people getting together and debating the issues that are contentious. With that in mind, I wanted to show with us the issues that are um, either contentious or difficult that are on our agenda for the next few days. You might think, oh, I thought it was a secret. Well, it's not a secret <laughs> what overseers talk about. And share it with you for um, educated prayer. So here's a few items um, that we'll be considering. One is called contemporary moral issues. 
and that's things relating to medical ethics, things like fertility treatment, um, treatments for illnesses that have a genetic basis, and it's complex things. It's you know harvesting genetic material from a third person um, in the context of uh, fertility treatment. You know how do we um, understand that in the context of scripture? Arguably, a person has three parents. Now these are really uh, hot topics and uh, um, on our agenda. One of the things that um, you might not know about, but we do have it, is a an ethics steering committee because it's, it's technical stuff. So there's a group of professional people who in fellowship that have expertise in these areas and they've created a paper to help us in our understanding of these things. But what we're searching for is principles from God's word. We don't read about genetic engineering in God's word, but we can see, we can find principles and then build policy and practice. Transgender and related moral issues, very hot topic today and not something that we read about directly in scripture. But uh, again, something that um, the fellowship really needs a position on because it's a very real issue. Again, trying to understand from God's word principles and once principles have been understood from a scriptural basis, build policy. The role of deacons, that's an interesting one. Um, that's just to revisit our understanding of what um, deacons do in the churches of God and you know, given that, how we go about recognising them. And you might think, well, we already understand that, but actually it hasn't been discussed for a long time and when you get to the um, nuts and bolts of it, there's not very much information in scripture about it. So that's a really intriguing discussion that's going on. And then lastly, um, these are four topics out of a big agenda, is universal care of the saints, it's called. And um, it's really a, an acknowledgement of mental health issues in our time and culture, for which um, pastors in churches of God, um, pastoral carers in churches of God are often um, stumped. You know, we're not qualified to begin to understand these issues, and yet they're commonplace. So again, trying to look for scriptural principles and building on them um, so we can cultivate um, and publish uh, our position and our practice. Uh, I, I don't know whether any of that is a surprise, but these are the kind of things that are the topics of our day in, in our culture that we need God's help and the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit to come to conclusions on. So please pray to that end that we might have a real sense over the next few days of... Um, the Spirit's leading in some of these difficult topics. Back to Galatians. So, um, Paul is partway through his um, statement about his testimony and his own credentials as an apostle. And I was struck by the provocative language that he uses. He describes these Judaizers as false brothers infiltrating our ranks. This is kind of really negative um, connotations here. To spy on our freedom and to make us slaves to the law. Now, um, not only is Paul passionate about the positive aspects of the apostles' teaching that he'd 
he and the other apostles had received from the Lord. But he's, um, he's passionate in a negative way about those who would teach these things. And I just feel, as someone who is often in this situation, standing behind a platform and um, having gone to God's word, it's a real, um, I want to say, warning that we can't be casual with God's word. We can't be flippant with it. And um, in some of the groups yesterday, we were talking about the importance, for example, of reading God's word in its context. Read it, take a verse out of its context and you can pretty much make it mean anything. So um, I think it's just a, a warning from Paul's attitude towards these people that they're not taking God's word seriously and actually we're better off without them. You know, they're, they're so powerfully undermining the true gospel that they're turning us back into slaves and um, there's no tolerance for it. Um, I want us just to think about three things which uh, it appeals to me that Paul um, highlights as reasons why his credentials as a, an apostle are valid. The first actually comes from chapter one and we've um, already dealt with it um, mainly last week through Ian. But he has of course to first establish his, the genuineness of his own encounter with the Lord Jesus. So he's not borrowing someone else's testimony <laughs> it's his own personal experience and in Paul's case a dramatic experience and just a lesson there you know let none of us be Christians on a borrowed testimony we have to have our own experience with the Lord number two it's the acceptance and endorsement of the other apostles it's unique to Paul's situation this was really serious we now know because um, the integrity of Paul himself and what he taught would be reflected in the canon of scripture um, so this is no <coughs> trivial point and um, the thing that Paul was saying to the Galatians uh, point number two is not only have I had my personal experience of salvation with Jesus Christ and a personal encounter with him but I have the endorsement of what are reputed to be pillars of the time, which is the Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, and the Apostle John. And um, it talks about them, um, we received, verse 9, we received the right hand of fellowship, and they sent him and Barnabas on, on their way um, as kind of fully-fledged, bona fide, curious word, um, ministering brothers approved um, for their service and acknowledged, Paul acknowledged as an apostle. Just one interesting point about James. It's not James the brother of John the son of Zebedee that we read about in the <coughs> Gospels because he was one of the first um, apostles martyred and we read about that early on in Acts. This is James the writer of the book of James who is the half-brother of Jesus, so son of Mary and Joseph. And um, I, just, I just love thinking about that because um, he's described as a pillar and you know he was a brother of the Lord and that silent 30 years that we know very little about, um, James would have had special insights from. 
So Paul's credentials, personal encounter with the Lord, not a borrowed testimony. Um, receive the right hand of fellowship from these pillars, um, if you like, the chief apostles that there were at that time. And then key is they recognised, verse 9, the grace given to me. It's a nod back to yesterday. In our breakout discussions, we were thinking of habits of grace. And um, this is in the context of the things we need to do habitually. Um, three things. Immerse ourselves in God's word. Um, have a real and effective prayer life. And engage in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Um, and in order to do that, God has given us a grace, a special um, opportunity and uh, the wherewithal to practice these things. Practicing God's presence by being in his word and um, having an, a, an effective, meaningful prayer life and being engaged in fellowship with God's uh, people. Um, Paul says they, they recognised in the grace of God in me. And the challenge comes to me is how recognisable is uh, the grace of God in myself. And how recognisable is the grace of God, recognisable by me, is the grace of God in you. Um, these pillars of the apostles had no doubt. Paul said they recognised the grace of God in me I was a transformed man, um, and I was transformed in, in a dramatic way, in a complete change of direction from a persecutor of the church to um, uh, a sponsor of Jesus Christ and a lobbyist for the churches of God. Um, you know, uh, what, is the, what should there be in my life that would cause you and others around me to see, well, there's the grace of God in him. And it's, so, it's evidence of those habits of grace, um, being um, interested and aware of God's word. It's um, being committed to prayer. You have no clue how much time I spend in prayer. I'm glad about that, in private prayer. But uh, we were learning yesterday that there's... there's Prayerful devotion, the, the prayers that happen in a place of solitude that no one else knows about, that the Lord says is essential. Go into your room and shut the door. And then there's the prayer that is kind of a dynamic thing. You know, um, someone sends you an email, um, got a problem, pray for this. Instantly, you say a prayer. Find yourself in a difficult situation, like have Nehemiah situation, where he's got an interview with the king and says a quick prayer. Um, that's a kind of dynamic thing. And then there is the corporate prayer. So it's being um, in the assembly prayers, perhaps um, a bit more than that. It's having a prayer life that goes beyond just yourself. So I would argue it also includes just praying with like-minded Christians, not necessarily including, but not necessarily limited to um, praying in the corporate assembly meetings. Um, commitment to fellowship was a really simple thing um, showing up and 
I know that one of the comments I read in the, in the brief yesterday, which I found quite intriguing, I think it's a lady that wrote this. Consider your prayer time not um, kind of addressing your debit account. Um, so, you know, oh, it's been a while since I've had a, had a prayer time, so I need to catch up. But consider it addressing your savings account. So we're not paying a debt, we're investing and we're investing for the outcome of time spent with the Lord. It's a positive thing. And um, in the context of meetings, you know, we might think, well, it's kind of tiresome. <laughs> and I'm physically tired. Um, there's not very many people there. Speaker's not the most dynamic you've ever heard. So I'm going to give it a miss. How about um, it's an investment? And um, it's, think about it, it's an opportunity for us to hear what a brother who's been before God has been given so why wouldn't we it's our opportunity to engage corporately in the assembly prayers whether I'm a sister or a brother so um, we're recognizing in each other um, the um, disciplines of God's grace habits of God's grace and from this corporate thing it's a subject in its, in its own right but I just leave with you the minimum I would suggest is when you can show up um, good news. Um, you go 20 or 30 years ahead of Paul's letter to the Galatians and you get Peter, um, one of the pillars, and he's writing to the same group. He's writing to God's elect in Galatia and, uh, as a named uh, district and others as well. And it's curious that I couldn't find any reference to Peter to, in Peter's first letter to Judaizers or circumcision. Maybe I didn't look hard enough, but it wasn't a hot topic. So um, I feel that um, you know, Paul hit the spot and they got the point and they moved on. And um, I'd like to think that these churches, at least for that period of time, again, there's some uh, variation as to when Peter's first letter was written, but um, the experts say it was probably no earlier than AD 70. So that would be at least 20, 25 years um, hence from this. So the churches of God were, stu were still there. We should take encouragement from that, I think. And it brings me to the Philippians 3 and 16 verse, actually verse 15. And it's Paul to the Philippians and he's talking about spiritual maturity and he says all of us who are mature should take such a view of things and he's been discussing about um, how he's continuing to learn himself um, about doctrine and the principles of scripture and if on some point you think differently that too God will make clear to you only let us live up to what we have already attained a sign of immaturity in spiritual things is when we continue to ask the same old questions and um, you know the obvious ones perhaps and I'm not, I'm not saying young people because young people need to ask questions and understand uh, from scripture the answers to those questions that's essential but mature disciples um, should get the answers to those questions under their belt spiritually and live up to them and I think a really good test is 
when we stop asking these old questions and actually we start providing answers to them. And I can just imagine maybe an old brother in one of the Galatian churches and, and one of the youngsters comes up and says, you know, what about circumcision? You know, my family is, has a Jewish background. And the old brother or sister, you know, he says, that's a good point. You know, it's always been a bit difficult issue. <laughs> um, so, good question. Well, good question, but here's the answer. And it's about, you know, being convicted, as Paul was, as to what is the truth and what isn't. <coughs> So in conclusion, as mature disciples, as we aspire to be a tr mature disciples of the Lord Jesus, let's recognise what's true and what's not true on the basis of God's word, the apostles' teachings is what it's called, and let us live up to what we have already attained. Um, let's get the truth under our belt, cherish it, preach it, and live up to it. As I say these things, I think I didn't comment on the Romans 12 scripture. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, yes, I think I did, didn't I? That's um, another um, reference to um, the, the grace of God that was in Paul that transformed his life and that should also characterize our lives. Shall we pray?